everybody, and welcome to Dine with the Divine. I'm your host, Ashley, and together we'll be exploring the magical, the mystical, and everything in between. On today's episode, we're going to talk about mojo bags and some very interesting folktales. So I hope you're having a great week, and if you're not, I hope it gets better soon. So today we have an awesome guest, Elohim Leafar. So Elohim is from Amazonas, Venezuela, and is a professional dowser, tarot reader, and urban spiritual worker who also serves as an author, blogger, and regular columnist for national and international publications. He was initiated into traditional Venezuelan spiritualism very young, became a practitioner of the Afro-Caribbean religion Yoruba at age 16 and Candoble at 17. Elohim is a is the author of The Magical Art of Crafting, Charm Bags, and Dream Witchery. Elohim, how are you today? Great. Thank you for having me. You are pretty awesome. Thanks for <laughs> giving me this space. Of course, of course. I always start off with people asking them how they like how they got to where they are right now with their spiritual journey. So how did your journey start for you? My journey started, I was very young. My mom and whole family, but especially my mom, they have this practice of magic in Venezuela. They are all practitioners, old school brujas and curanderos. Uh, you grow up with that background, so it's easy to learn a lot of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's very easy because you have everything in your hands. I grew up in Amazonas, which was very nice because we have the river, we have the trees, we have the mountains. We have the ability to experiment a lot of different cultures because it's a very popular place for not just for immigrants, but also for many tourists. It's also where you can find multiple tribes, so you mm-hmm. relate with multiple tribes in there. Tribal people is like the best people from who you can learn spirituality because they can make gold with not having too much stuff like us. Yeah. Everything that we give for granted, they just really learn to don't need it. You wake up in the morning, you wash, you take your shower in the river, you wash everything in the river, you can sleep on the stars, you can, you learn to walk and not lose yourself in the woods, just watching the stars, you learn the order of the stars in the sky. Divination, just watching the clouds, you learn to interact with different kinds of people. You pick a little bit of different languages, Spanish, Portuguese, why you are a what because you are surrounded by all of this amazing culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I moved to the city, and when I moved to the city, my mom started the path of spiritismo, traditional mm-hmm. Venezuelan spiritualism. I was initiated there when I was very young. Then later, I moved to the United States, exactly eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And then I started learning English three or four years ago, previously d- during COVID. Mm-hmm. And here I have the chance to learn even more. So I mm-hmm. think that has been a whole journey that has mm-hmm. prepared me for everything upcoming, probably in the future, because you learn the most important thing that you learn in this process is that don't care how much you have learned in the past, you always have something extra to learn. Because when I mm-hmm. arrived in the United States, uh, it starts feeling between, when you're an immigrant, you have that feeling between the arrogance of, I am so good, mm-hmm. because this is a country of immigrants, it's a country made entirely for all. Mm-hmm. People of color made the White House. That's mm-hmm. a, a part that people choose to ignore. Yeah. 
and the, at the same time, it's that humility tells you know that your time here is temporary. You don't know when it's your last day. So it's a blend of emotion because you are arrogant, you are very humble at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Um, while you see that many people can misinterpret multiple of your practices because they don't have a real test from your AD expertise. People can just say, oh, I think that when you come from Brazil or Cuba or Venezuela, which is when, when all of this start, how you see a lot of different eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, so from one side you see a lot of people like okay you are doing a lot of mistakes here but at the same time you can turn very arrogant because you continue learning a lot in the process I am not a western magician but I have learned a lot from western magic in the past years that mm -hmm. have given me a lot of perspective on my own practices which are very different but now I see different views like oh this is why you do this and this mm -hmm. is how do you reframe all the conversation about how works energy and this is your perception of the gods? Uh, in the United States, what I have seen most is that people have this perception about gods and goddesses or deities in general are like some kind of archetypes made of energy and that they can in some way interfere with uh, lives and mm -hmm. people like to say, I don't work for the gods, I work with them. In my culture, I will not say that we are more humble, but I think that we have a different approach for us. The gods are like real, not physical deities, like the mountain is a deity, the river is a deity, the trees are the songs mm -hmm. of all the deities, the sun in the sky is a powerful deity. And you not just work with them, sometimes you work for them, because at the end of the day, we are temporary here, but... You, we can say that I work with the God of the soul. When you will die and the sun will continue there and the moon will continue there. I, yes. I mean, we are just very temporary here. Mm -hmm. There are really big progress in our lives. The, have, being here, being an immigrant, open your eyes in multiple ways because teach you a lot of lessons in life, teach you to be humble and teach you, don't care how much you have learned, don't care how much traditions of practice do you, do you have in your rank. You, continue being a human being and you continue learning because it's a lot to learn out there. It's a lot of languages, cultures, magic, recipes, history. When you come from countries where most of the people is black people, our perception of race is entirely different than the perception of race in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you come here, you need to learn a lot about culture and history that you are not really physically, mentally, or emotionally prepared. To learn because the history of racing of racial fights in the United States is like very strong if you compare this with the history of Venezuela and Brazil. I, I mean, if you just Google Brazil, you will find that most of the people is people of color, and Venezuela yeah. is the country just next next to them. Mm -hmm. When you born in Venezuela, I mean, our neighbor country is Brazil, and the other one is Trinidad. So you black people for Jews, something that you just see for granted. You learn to don't mm -hmm. see difference around. You just work around the city. Nobody literally never in my country or in Colombia or in Peru or in Argentina, in any of these countries where I have the chance to be, never you listen to somebody saying, oh, this is a white person, this is a black person. You literally never listen to that. Here in the United States, it's entirely different perception, the color of your skin mm -hmm. brings a lot of background to the conversation, being a history, being a different speech, people refer to you in a different way. 
that's something that you are not prepared to have when, when you're an immigrant. This is like a very shocking truth. Mm-hmm. People can be overwhelmed you with facts when you are here. And it's part of the journey is continue learning wherever you are. That the country is not just advancing, it's also changing. And you need to continue growing and changing with the rest of the world mm-hmm. because we need it. And when yeah. you transfer that conversation to magic and the spirituality is the same. Spirituality is not something that is just stuck in one place of history. You continue learning and growing. Mm-hmm. And everything that I have learned for the past 30 years, in the next 60 or 40 years, probably not will be so consistent for another person, for another week. They will just see whatever I wrote, not just something that I learned from Amazonas. They will see, oh, who is this old guy from Venezuela? Where was that? <laughs> then, then they will see the perception of magic in relation because I hope their culture turn different to us. I really have big hopes for the next generation because I have a mm. lot of nephews. I have 14 nephews. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have a big family. I have 14 yeah. nephews. I have a lot of hope that the next generation can feel all the wounds that our generation actually has mm-hmm. because we have been overcoming the trauma, the, gener- the generational trauma of our parents and our mm-hmm. grandparents. These people survived the wars. Mm-hmm. So my grandpa comes from Turkey to Venezuela. He was an immigrant too. He escaped mm-hmm. from the Second War. So there's a lot of trauma there. And when you are in this generation, you entirely see things in a different way that how we be seen for the next one. I think that all of this has been my learning, my journey for the past eight years in the United States. has been every day something new. Uh, I mean, when you're in the United States, it's, we have pronouns, and it's something that Venezuelan people for us is like, what is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have pronouns, some people can mm-hmm. with, with they or three, mm-hmm. and, and that is okay, but it's something that for you continue being shocking. All the, all the ra- racial conversation is like really overwhelming. All the mm-hmm. fight for trans rights and equality is really overwhelming in the United mm-hmm. States. So I would think that at the same time, in some way, all the um, knowledge and tools that I bring from my country in some way in some kind of armor that prepares me for, okay, you come here, you don't come here to be comfortable, you come here to fight for what's right. Mm-hmm. And I think what is right is learned to make a space for everybody else. And that's also part of the journey, part of the magic life, um, trying to open more spaces for trans people, for people of color, for queer mm-hmm. people, for people who don't feel like they are beating anyone. And you need to open spaces for them. Mm-hmm. Someone in your tradition, in your craft, in your calling, feel like they don't fit. It's not their problem. It's our problem that we are very comfortable and we are not open spaces for them. Mm-hmm. So something when I come from Venezuela, I remember part of my speech, my arrogance in that moment was, you need to open a space in your table for me to put a chair. Now, after eight years, I just know if you don't want me in your table, take your table. I will take mine. I will bring my own table. I will build my own table and I will put my own folks in there. Yeah. And when you see how colorful and rich and nursery is my table, you will want to come here. And yeah. listen to you, I will say, yes, come here. Mm-hmm. Because we are the grown old people here. Mm-hmm. Mm. That was wonderful. Yes. All of that. I love 
hearing how your perspective as somebody as an immigrant is so interesting. One of the things that I think is remarkable is that, and I find this with a lot of people, people, a lot of people around the world, and I can't speak for Latin America or the, well, I can speak for a little bit for the Caribbean, not Latin America, but I know from my experience, a lot of people who I know or family members or friends of family members from the Caribbean or from Africa feel like you come to the United States and it's like you hear all these things about the United States and it's always, oh, everything's great. Everything's wonderful. But people don't realize. Yeah. Yeah, they don't realize it's a lot. It's a complete and total lie. Like there, there are positive. Well, there's positive things about, first of all, there's positive things about every country. I don't care how economically wonderful it is or how not it is. Everything has a good side and a bad side. Same with the United States. People come here, they don't realize, number one, the culture shock is crazy. Especially, like you said, when you're a person of color. If even if you're a person who has an accent, let's, I'm saying, I know a lot of people who came from European countries. And they experience issues with people just because they may have a strong accent. So somebody may say something to them about that. But you have to work really hard here to get where you want to get. It's not like you just come here and you get a great job and everything's perfect. No, it's really hard. And then you have all these barriers because we have this really complicated history with race and it, it gets really difficult and not only race with um, gender identity, with sexuality, all this kind of stuff gets really hard here. There are some people say, well, we're open to these things. We are open to them, but it doesn't mean that in every part of the country, people are accepting of that. So it can be really difficult as an immigrant. And my parents are immigrants. And even as a child of an immigrant, it gets passed down a little bit. Obviously, it's different, but like, yeah. you still have that sense of otherness like your quote-unquote maybe your food smells funny somebody might tell you or like yeah you know what I mean like those types of things so it can be difficult but I like from what you were said like from what you grew up with you bring those things with you and when you can embrace those things and use you use your childhood you use your culture and you just add on to it when you came here you're like okay I'm just gonna learn but I'm also going to bring my culture into this. I'm going to bring what I know and what I learn. And you make yourself, number one, more knowledgeable, more cultured by doing that. And you make other people be like, oh, wow, like, this is really interesting, this thing that I want to learn from you. And you're so open. And that's how you bring, like you said, you brought your table along. And now people are like, well, this table looks pretty good. <laughs> like, come yeah. Over here. Yeah. Well- I mean, I mean, we are in a different generation in which I think that we have, I mean, we have social media. That's something that both, both parents did have. Uh, I'm sure that if they had social media in their time, they could have prevented a lot of things, including maybe war, because mm-hmm. it's, it's better having a, just a virtual world on social media than having a real world where people is losing lives. Mm-hmm. What is happening right now in Ukraine, which is one of my first topics in my head every day for the past year, mm-hmm. teaches social media, yeah, it's a very toxic place, but also keeps us informed about everything that is happening. Mm-hmm. And it's, social media is a tool that we have and we need to approach in a very good way because you can use social media to be very toxic or you can use social media to help others, to communicate others, to bring ideas, to open the table, to open the conversation. To mm-hmm. um, open with the conversation with other folks and say, You're feeling comfortable? Tell me, hearing fully, why you're feeling comfortable with this 
situation, what is what we are making wrong. And mm -hmm. that is something that for parents still have. So we have all of these tools. I think that we have the chance to use them for good. Mm -hmm. So if you have the chance to fit in a place and open the place a bit more for some while and see how strong is the Russell fight here in the United States. I mean, after 2020, mm -hmm. this has been very like eye-opening mm -hmm. for everybody yeah. in so many aspects, in so many ways, because you... For one side, yeah, you can just focus in, it's a lot of Russell fight, but also you can see how strong this, how much strength this gives to people. Like, you, mm -hmm. we need to be together. We mm -hmm. need to fight together. It's not your fight, it's our fight in plural. Yes. You are not alone here. Uh, what, one of the hardest conversations that I had here in the United States is the fact that I look white, except when I talk. And mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, and this has literally happened a lot of times, when I talk on social media about races, mm -hmm. people feel very uncomfortable. And three times, people have said, oh, but you don't know that you are white. Okay. And when you say that I am white, you're entirely erasing years of history and the fact that mm -hmm. my, both of my grandmas are indigenous people. One is white and the other one is Arawak. When you are saying that I am white, you are erasing the fact that many of our grandmas and the most of them were raped for white people from Europe. And mm. they look like this because that happens. Yeah. You are entirely erasing that fact that our grandmas were, were raped for white men. Mm -hmm. I look like this. It's, it's for that. And many people in Venezuela look like me. We, are, we look white, but we continue having grandmas who are like black. Uh, yeah. uh, my, my grandma is very small. It's, it's like half of, of my stature. She's entirely black with this beautiful black long hair mm -hmm. that made me feel very jealous. And she's <laughs> when you watch you people. Uh, my other grandma, who is a very small person to fit, she comes from the Arawaks. Mm -hmm. And I look very tall and I look very white. And I have this beard because they didn't have the chance to marry with people of their own tribe. They were forced yeah. to marry with other people. So when you say, oh, you can talk about races because you are white. Baby, I'm not white. Yeah. You, are, you are just ignorant of history. Mm -hmm. And you need to bring that kind of very uncomfortable conversations to not just social media, but also to the real world because people just want to ignore the fact. It's yeah. like when you are in Venezuela, people just give you the bad news about the United States because the United States is the imperial. You don't want to be there. They are, mm -hmm. they are the killers. They are so racist, blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada, yada. But the center of power of the world, the first country is the United States. And the most powerful place in the United States is the White House, which mm -hmm. ironically was built by black people. You see how strong is black people in the end of the conversation when they literally build the most strongest, powerful mm -hmm. build in the whole continent. Yeah. And it's, these kind of facts are very important, and it's important to remind people about this because black culture is very alive, and people just choose to ignore it. Mm -hmm. And black culture is not just for people who look black. It's for everybody around who feels or descends from black folks, like me. Mm -hmm. my, my grandpa is Turkish. Is Turkish. My mm -hmm. grandma is indigenous. The other grandma is indigenous too. The, my other grandpa was German. Mm -hmm. And all of this gave me some kind of blend when I was growing in Venezuela. What here people see like, oh, you are Latino in Venezuela. was like, you are just one more four between us because everybody there looks practically like me. We look very mm -hmm. white. And when you have all of these kind of cultures, all, all these kind of 
background and you have the chance to come to the United States, you can just silence yourself when you see these situations about like false talking. You need to, on the contrary, you need to be very loud mm-hmm. and say, wait, this country, these powers come from black people. I mean, it's our culture, it's our food, it's our heritage, it's our place. And in, when you translate this conversation to religion, to spirituality, to magic, you see also how many of the white Western culture magic is taking stuff from the black culture. They are t- white people talking about Orishas, about Lukumi, about Candomblé, about Voodoo, and all of these mm-hmm. things come from black people. And most of these things come from slaves. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, the... I think we're going to, one of these days, have a, a episode where we talk about spiritual like appropriation because there is a lot. And it goes back to also something else you said. Um, I think it's really interesting what you mentioned. Like You see a lot of European, we talk about like, European mythology or magic, and people talk about the deities being archetypes. But a lot of people indigenous people i know a lot in africa this happens even in asia i believe it's more that the deities are like living things and they are involved in every aspect of our lives and i do think that's really interesting because i feel that the and it's not european people's fault i think a lot of it has to do with christianity mixing in with it but it's like there's a detachment there it's like, well, like, I can do what I want because, like, it's just the idea of this god that does this. But in these other cultures where we're like, no, these gods are the ground that we walk on. They are the trees that shade us. They are, this, like you said, they're the sun. They're the earth. They're living forever and ever. And they are existing forever. And we are existing for this finite time. So it's like, we want to honor them. We want, you know, you want good things from these deities. So you want to live in a way in which they will continue to bestow blessings on you. So it's more of a like, I think it also helps when it comes to the environment, right? Because you are thinking constantly that these gods and these deities that you want to honor and bless and give, give offerings to are literally among you all the time. So you want to take care of the earth. So that like even brings in the environmentalism into it because you're like, well, this is this is our realm, but it's their realm and they created it for us to live on. So we need to take care of it. So it's like a completely, especially in places like the Amazon where like nature is everything. The flora and fauna is so rich and, you know, the plants and the animals and they can be affected so deeply by climate change and the people who are living there, especially the people who are deep in there who aren't really having a lot of contact with the rest of us. That's, yeah. This is their livelihood. They don't have all this other stuff that we have. And trust me, not all this other stuff we have, it doesn't mean it's better. I'm just saying that their resource is literally what they have on the ground. We need yes, to help yes. them with that. Yeah. Yes. When you are, for example, here in the United States, for example, you go, I don't want to trash the mm-hmm. American people or the American culture. It's just that, oh, yeah, they, are very, it's just that they are very used to. For example, mm-hmm. here people go to the beach or to the river and you go, you stay there for like three hours, but three or two of these three hours, you are just sit down taking some bath with your phone in your hand. You, you are in the beach, but you are not really in the place mentally. You are just physically there. 
practically enjoyable. You are not disconnecting from the rest of the world. You continue with your smartphone in your hand. I had seen, because I was living in the Bronx in New York City for, for years, mm-hmm. uh, people go to the river park. And w- when I was in the river walking around there, I was watching, oh, look at these trees, look at these bees, look at these flowers. I want to wa- take a shower in there. I mean, was just, they stand over, over a rock, take a picture, and they just continue walking. Like, you really mm-hmm. didn't connect with the place. When you are in places like Amazonas or in any of the, or Iceland in the Caribbean, like if you are in Barbados, if you are in Trinidad, if you are in Curaçao, in any of these places, people literally don't need a phone. You just go to the river. You just wake up in the morning and say, I want to take a day in the, in the river. You take your stuff, you make some sandwiches, a bottle mm-hmm. of water. You go to the river with your family. People make a big barbecue in there, a big kumbo, a big soup, anything. And they pass the whole day in the river just... You can shower for hours. You literally mm-hmm. go to a river, you stay in there for like four hours, you come outside, you eat something, drink something, you sleep next to the river, then you <laughs> go again to the river and you pass your whole day in there entirely disconnected. That is a common day in Amazonas. It's people uh, going to look for food, it's people doing competitions to hike in the mountains, it's enjoying the river, it's let me take a boat and navigate the whole river for the whole day. We, uh, today we go to hunt snakes or anything or mm-hmm. a, or other animals that I don't know how to pronounce in English. Yes. Uh, the, the one word that I know is a snake. It's a serpent. It's the one that I know. Yes. Uh, uh, this is what people sh- see like, oh, it's a hobby. I'm going to the river in three weeks. For us, it's the day by day. What you mm-hmm. see like, that what pe- for people is, oh, this is just a river. For us, it's like, no, this is not a river. This is home. You, when, when you are in these kind of places, you, your mom is like, oh, you want to sleep here tonight? Yeah, okay, take a pillow. And you literally <laughs> sleep in the river. And the next morning, you just shower in the river and go back to home. Mm-hmm. That is our culture. When tourists, that's the reason why tourists is so popular in Amazonas. People come because they want to disconnect from the world because our world is overwhelmed with so much information, the news, mm-hmm. the world. The pandemic, people just want a moment to breathe and mm-hmm. they go back to the root, which is the root. Let me go back to the origin, to the source, to the ancestry. So let me take a, a week in the Amazonas, wherever to practice ayahuasca, cacao ceremonies, whatever they want to do. A lot of people go to do ayahuasca. When they see the ceremony, they are like, I don't want to participate in that, but they are still in there in the Amazonas for a whole week. Mm-hmm. And they shower in the river and they stay in there. It's the worst internet connection in the world. So they just, <laughs> in a moment, they just quit and throw the smartphone and they just finally enjoy. Yeah. And when they need to go back, they are like, oh, I need to go back to the city. I need to go back to my life. I don't want to go back. <laughs> Welcome to our lives. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that does sound nice to get away for a minute. There, <laughs> I love that. What we're going to do next is we're going to go to our next section where we're going to talk about our food section. We have our dish of the week. So I didn't know which dish to pick. So I was like, let's look up some Venezuelan foods because I don't know too much about Venezuelan food, except I only know the first one on my list, which is arepas. I know arepas. (laughs) So one thing that I learned from this article that I didn't know, I've only ever had arepas with like just the cheese. Yeah. But you can have it with like lots of other stuff in it. You can do arepas or everything, even with rice. Yeah. I, uh, uh, the, the, the beautiful thing about arepas, uh, we have this, this is not something that I see reflected in, 
Puerto Rican and Dominican culture. They are all, all the time fighting for the, what is mine. What, this is Puerto Rican. This is Dominican. Yes. This, this food is Puerto Rican. This food is Dominican. They are all the time fighting for that. Venezuela and Colombia, we are practically the same. We are all the time fighting for who created what. But in yeah. the end of the day, we all own the own food. Mm-hmm. Or is really similar. We were conquest for the Spains and this. They, they divide us because you divide and conquest. Mm-hmm. So we start in this fight, like who is better and food, more food. Venezuela and Colombia have similar arepas. In Colombia, they do it with platano. They take the plantain and they make mm-hmm. the arepas with that. I prefer the Venezuelan ones because I think that it's a little more light to eat and you can eat more. Mm-hmm. You can <laughs> fill your arepas with whatever you want, with cheese, okay. with jam with chicken, with rice. My favorite one is the chicken salad. People prepare a chicken salad with potatoes, mayonnaise, and chicken. Sometimes a little bit of bacon. They blend all of this and they put inside of the arepa. That mm-hmm. is like to die. You drink that, you don't want to eat anything else in your life. People can feed arepas with cheese and platanos. People can fill it with three different kinds of cheese. Whatever you can put in a pizza, you can put that. In an arepa. People here see it like something very exotic, like, oh, a Venezuelan football. We eat arepas for breakfast, for lunch, for mm. dinner. It's, it's like our sandwich. Because actually, bread sandwich is imported from United States and China. For us, it's easiest to do arepas for everything. You just take arepas to your job. We also have empanadas, which is something very similar. Mm-hmm. And we have it associated with Colombia and Peru. And it's like an arepa, just like more difficult to make, mm-hmm. but you can put everything in there, especially people like to make it with meat. Mm-hmm. But the best one, at least for me, is the Venezuelan traditional food for the holidays with the hajacas. Mm-hmm. I really love it for two things. The first one is that is we have in any country of Latin America and the Caribbean, Everybody have their own version of ayacas because it's actually an indigenous food. It's not Venezuelan, it's an indigenous food. Ah. And I love so much how you see that everybody have their own version because and then when you see it, even if they change the, the, the name or the country, we all remain the same people. Mm-hmm. I something that I love. The second one is that they, they made it with plantain leaves. They take the plant, the, the leaves of the plantain tree mm-hmm. and they cook all the food in there with the meat, with the spices, with the tomatoes, with potatoes. They put everything in there. They cover all of this with the leaves. They bite it and they, they put in the hot water for hours. That can be like nine hours. Wow. And it's everything cooking inside of the platano leaves. And when you are eating that, that is like the most amazing food in the world, but it takes you hours to do it because when you are going to do it, you need, you need to take the platano leaves, which are like very big, mm-hmm. and you need to wash them all with a yeah. lot of water because you want, you're going to cook all your food inside of that. Mm-hmm. And when you have the chance to travel to any country of Latin America or the Caribbean, you will see that everybody has their own version of the ayacas. Mm. But also like that indigenous flavor influence in there because if we're a, a more Western or European dish, probably they will do it entirely different, but we continue using the same technique. You put your, the biggest cauldron that you have in home, you put that thing on fire with a lot of water, mm-hmm. you take your platano leaves, you put everything inside, you 
how you say, you fold the mm -hmm. leaf in a very specific way and you put that in the water for hours, just like mm. the indigenous people used to do. And in the end of the day, all the food is very well cooked inside of the platano leaves and have the flavor of the platano inside of the food, which is amazing. Mm. And it's like a very authentic but difficult indigenous technique to cook food that mm -hmm. is like very difficult to replace. And every December, especially in Colombia and Venezuela, that the whole families come together just to prepare the plate. And because mm -hmm. can't take you like a whole day to do it. And you need a lot wow. of assistance. You need someone just washing the leaves. You need someone just preparing the meal. You need someone just preparing oh, all the other details because it's a lot of things that you put together. Mm -hmm. It's like four, four or five different things, the potatoes, the chicken, the meat, all of that need to be very well cooked before to put inside the leaves. Mm -hmm. So you need at least five persons working at the same time, just yes. in the kitchen. So mm -hmm. it's like a very traditional family team that you see that everybody comes together because, oh, your uncle is doing a, a, the ayakas this, this year. Mm -hmm. So everybody goes to the house, everybody brings something for the food, and everybody's all day celebrating, it's the music very loud, people is drinking, and at the same time we are cooking, and you are not eating anything during the whole day because in the dinner you will eat all the ayakas that you want. You can eat three, you can eat six, you can eat nine, you can eat to the morning if you want. <laughs> oh my God, that sounds, first of all, it sounds like a good time. Like it yeah, sounds like fun. <laughs> and then also sounds really delicious. <laughs> yeah, it is. I love that. So, so then we also have on this list, you mentioned, I think you already mentioned well, we talked about plantain leaves and we're talking about, okay, this is what I learned. One time I was at like an outdoor festival and there was a Puerto Rican food truck and I went there. I love plantains. I'm African and I'm Jamaican. I can eat plantains for breakfast, dinner, lunch, yeah. the ones that are sweet. And then in Ghana, we have something called Kilawili, which is like uh, fried plantain but it's seasoned a little bit with ginger and something else but it's very delicious so i was like oh can i please have some fried plantains and he said do you want tostones and i said yeah yes and i forget now i'm forgetting if this is the right one but i know for puerto rican people there's two different kinds i don't know what it's like in venezuela but there's one that's like smash and like yeah, yeah and then there's one that's like fried that's sweet and the fried sweet mm -hmm. is, is, totally, is commonly for, in Venezuela, it's commonly for mm -hmm. lunch. Mm -hmm. And the smasher is like a very exotic thing that you eat when you go to the beach. It's something oh. that is in there. They put the platano totally smashed and they put over that a lot of cheese and mm -hmm. salt. And they bring a whole plate for that. It's something that you usually just eat in the beach because it's like too exotic and it's something simpler to do than all the mm -hmm. kind of food. So you, when you, you go to the beach, you see all these kioscos and people going around with all of these big plates. They are selling that for like two, three dollars, mm -hmm. and they give you a whole big plate from where you can eat like ten people or just Gosh. two of me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so good. And that's another thing I've noticed about a, a lot of different Latin American foods is you guys love a plantain and cheese, and the yes. cheese is. I don't, I never knew this until a few years ago. I was like, why do they always have plantains and cheese? Like, like I can't get used to it just because that's not what I'm used to. But I always take the cheese out 
Because the kind of cheese it is, I don't know what kind of cheese it is, but it's delicious. I eat the cheese by itself. Yeah. <laughs> It's like a white cheese. I know there's like, I don't know what the kind of cheese it is. All I know is every time I've bought it, I take the cheese out, I eat it separately, and it's absolutely delicious. I love it. Okay, so we have we talked a lot about empanadas already, and then there was one food that I didn't know what this was, but it sounds a little bit like arepas. It's called cachapas. <gasps> okay. <laughs> You need to come home, and I've been making for you. It says here it's a thin pancake with ground corn, queso yeah. blanco, and sugar, and cooked in budare in a budare. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. Yeah, a budare is like in how I can describe this. You, it, I mean, it's easier if you just Google indigenous food. You will mm-hmm. see all of these pictures of beautiful women cooking. In a very big piece of metal, totally plain, oh, black okay, okay. metal, mm-hmm. that's the budare. And we use the budare to cook practically. You can cook practically everything in there. Eggs, chicken, meat, empanadas, arepas, pabellón, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It's just a big piece of metal. And you put the fire uh, below and you put everything over that. Like some kind of barbecue. You, put, you can put everything in there. Mm-hmm. The cachapa, that is like a very strong food. It's really something national, something really Venezuelan, I think. But it, that is a very heavy food. That is like you eat one and you need to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, immediately. But it's, it's super delicious because it's all of these big plates that they do. It's this yellow smashed thing that I don't know how to describe. It's very hot from the budare and they put over the butter and the cheese. So mm. all of this is melting over and then you just fold it. Ooh. And you put more water over that. Oh, and you serve in the plate next to your cafe con leche, your coffee with milk, and mm. you eat that. And we just, I mean, it's something that you just eat like in weekends because you mm. can't eat that before your job because you will totally <laughs> fall down immediately. It's just gonna bed. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. Well, everybody, this is your introduction to Venezuelan food, so you've got to go and get some because it all sounds absolutely delicious. Okay, so then this is the part of the show I'm going to plug myself and then we'll move on. So if you're enjoying the show, we're Dine with the Divine. You can follow me on the socials. I'm at Dine with the Divine on Instagram and Facebook. And if you really like the show, please feel free to pause and give us a rating or review. That helps a lot, especially when you're on Apple or Spotify. And make sure you're listening to us so you can always get it every Thursday. And if you want to give me a tip, there's a link in the show notes to do that too. And if you have any suggestions for episodes or comments or anything you want to tell me, you can feel free to email me at dinewiththedivinepod at gmail.com. Okay, so we're going to move on to our next section. So our next section is tea time. Tea time is where we talk a little bit about something we're going to educate ourselves on usually a spiritual topic or a historical topic, but this one is both. And this is something that Elohim knows a lot about because he wrote a whole book about it. So this is about mojo bags or charm bags that we're going to yep. talk about today. So if you've ever heard, and I just put, I have mojo bag a lot here because that's what I'm used to hearing, but charm bag, mojo bag, they're inter interchangeable. It's the same thing. Yep. Yeah. I just have my little definition here. 
that I got from, of course, Wikipedia, because I love Wikipedia, a mojo bag. So a mojo bag is something in a lot of different traditions. And then we'll talk a little bit about the historical part of it in a minute. So a lot of people in the United States would have heard of a mojo bag. And it's usually in an African-American spiritual tradition, like from hoodoo. If you're in the U.S., that's usually how you know it. It's usually an amulet or literally a little bag consisted of some different magical items. Some people call it a prayer in a bag. Some people call it a mojo hand, a toby, a nation sack, a conjure hand, lucky hand, a charm bag, trick bag, root bag, jomo, grish grish bag or just the quote unquote mojo, it refers to what is in the bag and what's like the intention. So there will be, and we'll get into the specific items in the bag that are carrying a certain intention and the person's usually carrying on themselves or maybe in their bed, depending on what it's for. The containers people historically used, historically people use literally bags. Maybe they made them out of leather or sack or flannel or whatever. Some people use gourds, bottles, shells, and there's a lot of other containers you can use. So the word mojo, it believed it comes from the Kilcongo people of the Congo Basin. Now, everybody, we've referred to this a lot. If you don't remember, go back to our first episode where we talked a lot about how during the beginning of the Atlantic slave trade, for the first 200 years-ish, a lot of the slaves came from Central Africa and not Western Africa, and Western Africa was later. So at the beginning, a lot of people came from the Congo area, Angola, Gabon, that area. So those Kill Congo people had their own mythology and their own spiritual practices that they brought with them. And a lot of that inspired a lot of the spiritual practices in hoodoo and a lot of other religions that African traditional religions and magical practices in the Caribbean and the Americas. The word there from the Kilcongo people who are the people of the Congo Basin is called mojo, literally mojo. (laughs) And it means the spirits that dwell within magical charms. So these charms, they're called kissy. It's literally spelled N-K-I-S-I. I think the N isn't pronounced, meaning a object that within a meaning an object within which a spiritual object dwells so the misuse of the word started in the 20th century the word mojo was appropriated and misused by white americans in movies to refer to sexual virility which it had nothing to do with a lot of white americans started using this word mojo without actually knowing what it meant at all in African-American culture and especially in Gullah culture, which is like the culture of the people of South Carolina islands, I believe. There's a lot of people were using it in that and then white Americans heard it and just thought it meant like being sexual, but it really has nothing to do with it. So in Central Africa and in West Africa, people practice the spiritual art of creating conjure bags for protection, healing, and to communicate with spirits. The Gris, literally the word they think originates from the Dahomey people, and that actually was associated with Islamic traditions, because we also talked about this. A lot of people who then, when they were in Western Africa taking slaves, in countries like Sierra Leone, in areas of Liberia, there's a lot of Muslim people, and some of their magical practices that were indigenous to the area, even though they were Muslim, came over with them too. 
originally the griskris versions of these bags were adorned with islamic scripture and were used to ward off evil spirits especially jinn or bad luck so historians noted that the time that they were frequently worn by non-believers and believers alike and were found attached to buildings the practice of using though originating in africa came to the united states with enslaved africans and was quickly adopted with enslaved africans in louisiana in voodoo and hoodoo and in voldon in haiti Whew, okay <laughs> yeah thank you one really cool example of this and i couldn't find too much example too much about this guy there was a guy named gullah jack who led a slave revol- revolt and he was an a african slave from angola and he carried his conjure bag onto the slave ship when leaving zanzibar all the way to the united states and he was known during his slave i think he tried a couple times i have to look more up about this guy gola jack i'll write about it in a blog i think he tried a couple times to do slave results but he was known for always having spiritual protections this like i said this is something that people carried around with them and helped them a lot and you can tell me what you think. Do you think this is something that is a practice? It seems like I don't hear people really talk about it until I found out you wrote a book about it. I was like, I don't really hear people talk about charm bags too much, but it was something so practical that I think at the time people were like, oh, we could use it all the time. And I don't know if you've seen people use this a lot in your practice. It's very practical. First of all, I love how much well-informed you are. Thank you. <laughs> we need more people like you, please. I just uh, like to Google stuff. <laughs> but, it's, but it's okay. Whatever is the source of information, why you have the information, that's okay. Many people don't do that work. <laughs> I wrote this book, The Magical Art of Crafting Chambas. I was coming from, I bring the manuscript from Venezuela. Originally, the manuscript was brought in Spanish and Portuguese. Mm. I have recipes in both languages. I bring all the recipes from family. I came to the United States. I sent the manuscript. They approved it immediately. I never imagined that like five, six years later, people will continue buying with the book. It really turned super popular more than I was expecting because even sometimes I just think, it's a book on charm, but it's not like too complicated. <laughs> but I think that people like it because of the fact that it's not other books on the far out there. The few that are, are not from someone who is not white. Mm-hmm. I have the chance to learn about this, which in Latin America we call it in general saquitos, which is like mm-hmm. a little bag. Mm-hmm. In Venezuela we call it bolsa de amuletos, which is bag of amulets because mm-hmm. we put the amulets inside of the bag. It's a super practical way of magic that I see that is like very underrated for the people because... First of all, people want to do everything easier. We are in the TikTok era, so everybody <laughs> wants to do something like very fast. I want I want a low spell without any effort. I want to do a money spell that just works in seven days without any money, any effort, any time. We want that. <laughs> and when you say you need to cut the clothes, you need to sew the pieces, you need to put everything together. You need to craft a little circle around to protect the energy of the elements that you're putting inside of the bag because you don't want anything of there bring some negativity in your spell. People just see it like, oh, that's too much work to do. Mm. And the second thing is because don't look like something like very ceremonial. People want the whole ceremony, they go, mm-hmm. the whole weekend is 
tile, we need the circle and the candles and the stuff. And what I sell in the book is like, you can craft the chalmas in your room mm. because I can't just think or assume that every person who buy the book have the biggest space in their home. Like, oh, you can take this whole room to make your spray crafting. A lot of people just live for rent in a little apartment yeah. or in a little room. That's the truth of many people and many of these people are witches. I was living for rent in a little apartment in my country in Venezuela for a long time, for like three years. Mm-hmm. And my altar was actually a chair with a big throw over and they mm-hmm. put all the candles and the stuff in there. That was my altar. <laughs> and in this book, what I try to put most of all was two things. First of all, my personal recipe, some respect from my family that has been for generations in us because I think we have a very rich culture, not just in Venezuela, actually in my family, because we have many magical traditions in the family. Mm-hmm. My grandpa comes from Turkey, so he had a, he brings some kind of Jewish Muslim heritage mm-hmm. because he was like a person. He knows a lot about his culture. He read a lot about his culture. He talks many languages because he travels a lot of countries before to arrive in Venezuela. He was a long time in Portugal and in Spain too. So my, my mom refers to my grandpa like the big colonizer of the family. Because he came directly from Spain. And when I say grandpa, she says, yeah, the colonizer. Uh, but we adorable. love him. Yeah, but we love him. Uh, and he had all of these beliefs on teachings and some kind of gods of the desert. And he was like very um, a very ritualistic person. He's the kind of person who travel to Portugal and he go to take his airplane to Spain. He take a little bit of dust from any place of the airplane. So I have mm-hmm. some dust from Portugal with me so I can do this for spell casting or whatever from that yeah. land. He cut, he could, um, he keep all of this stuff in little bags and bottles. That is part of the culture that my mom has. So I learned growing to create all kinds of chamber because I was in the military school for 40 mm-hmm. years, I always have a chamber with me in my bag for protection, for being a good student, to keep the focus in the classes, to don't have distraction, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing that I try to put in the book after the recipes is how you can create your own chamber. So I give in, in the I put in the book a whole list with plants, herbs, crystals, oils, uh, moon faces, everything that you can do for your mm-hmm. chamber so you can do how big you want, how small you want. I just want to do a chamber filler with some crystal quartz and some rosemary. You can do it. I, I have a lot of money and I want to create those big whole charmers with the most expensive materials and food, I don't know, gold and diamonds. It's like, mm-hmm. you can do it. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares. your magic, it's your practice. Do it however you want. Just please be informed of the elements that you are using. Mm-hmm. Put everything inside of the bag with a lot, of, a lot of fairness. So in the book, I I make a big emphasis on something that people underrate a lot, which is make a circle. Yeah. Because people is like, oh, I'm gonna perform this spell, so I'm gonna put these elements inside of a bag or a witch bottle. Yeah, but you have your table, and it's a, in your table, you eat your food, and sometimes you are having talks with someone in your table, mm-hmm. and those conversations can be very uncomfortable. You have all that energy in the table. You are putting your float, your crystals, your everything there, absorbing that energy, and you're putting that consciously, willingly inside of the yes. bag that you are carrying with yourself everywhere. So you are trying to keep that bad energy. 
then you will be asking why the spell didn't work. Well, yeah. that's the reason. Yeah. In the moment that you craft a little circle, when you do it with chalks, with big cordon, with whatever you do, in that moment, we just don't understand how powerful is really the energy that they carry with them. Mm-hmm. You carry power in your words, in your actions, in your thoughts. And when you combine all of this together and you are just casting a little circle, even with your finger around the place, you're being a witch, you are in that moment of performing, you are saying with this action, with this talk, with this movement, you are saying to the world and to the space, this place is again, this space, this space is mine and not energy comes here because this circle that I made is mine, belongs to me and just my energy comes here. Mm-hmm. So when you put your elements inside of that circle, your candle, your incense and oh, everything for your charm bag, all of these have your energy and not bad energy can come inside of that. So you combine all of these elements and you can have your charm bag with you for love, for healing, for protection. Uh, the charm bag is, the book on charm bags in some way is a little, not entirely dated, but mm-hmm. it's a reflection of my culture because Latin America is not so open to many things like United States it is. Mm-hmm. For example, right now, you know, queer culture in the United States is very big. Latin America is not like that. It's a very misogynistic place. Mm -hmm. For example, in the book, I have very specific spells for love, like common love spells and love spells for people who are looking for someone of the same sex. Mm -hmm. For some people, can be a little dated. Well, well, when you come from my culture, it's like something that we continue doing these days Mm -hmm. because certain elements, just like plants and just like animals, can identify with some kind of energy and what you are trying to do is trying to bring the same energy that you are bringing from yourself or a different kind of energy. Mm-hmm. So I try to put all of that in the book. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> I just explained <laughs> talking and talking and talking. No, that's okay. You answered it. Because I was just, <laughs> I just wanted to hear about like what it was for you. And you answered the question. You oh, perfect, you, perfect. Yeah, perfect. you over answered the question and I love it. I love it. I love the way you explain things. It's very good. So you were talking about what people put in it. So that's the next thing I was going to bring up also. So great. We're doing fantastic. Oh, another quick note before we go on to what people put in it. Another like historical note here. So the in Central Africa, going back to the Congo people, the Congo Basin, they call these spirits that live in the Minsky bag, in the bag called, they're called the Minsky. Minkisi and Kissy spirits are the spirits that are made by the person who's going to make the bag. They put the spirits in the bag and the different things in the bag represent them. So the also there's a belief that there's this spirit called Simbi and Simbi also is in the bag and the mojo bag. And this again is from the Bakongo people. So the Bakongo people, the Kilkongo people, they're all living in the same area. So I'm interchangeably using them, but they're not exactly the same, but they have similar beliefs. So anyway, next, what do people put in the bag? You're like, what goes in this bag? It depends on what you want. So it depends on the person who's doing the bag. It depends on the intention, just like Elohim just explained already. You can use specific oils. You can use crystals, just like he said, all those different things. And this, the important thing is that, like you said, depending on where you're making it, I love how you do this for anybody. You made this so accessible, right? Like you're like, okay, you want to make a bag. You have a one room. You live in one room. You had a chair that was an altar. You can do that. Yeah, yeah, it's very simple. It's not, you don't have, there's nothing, like you said, 
I'm just repeating what you said at this point, but there's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with having expensive stuff if you can afford it and that's what you like. Great, do that. It's cool. But if yeah, you don't... How, how, however you want, just I have this quote that sometimes people misunderstood. It's like you are what you eat, mm-hmm. and I think that in magic you are exactly what you do. Try mm-hmm. to don't be cheap, and when I say try to don't be cheap, people think that I'm saying. Oh, go and spend a lot of money. No, I'm saying trying to, when you are buying something for your magic, you need to have the confidence that your magic will do the work to bring that money back. You can do, you literally can't ever, never, please never do a money spell and go buying the item saying, oh, I can buy this. Oh, this is too expensive. Oh, I, this is too much money. You are literally saying, I don't have the money for that. You are proclaiming that you don't Mm -hmm. have the money for that. You ruin the money spell. Don't care how much stuff you buy later. You just ruin it. Mm-hmm. You can say, I choose not to buy this right now because I have another priorities. This money spell, I see it like too busy, too complicated, too much stuff. I don't have the time for that. I have other priorities. So I will try to buy just this and these two, three items and do a money spell with that. And you can do that with the charm bags. You can take something that I always do with my charm, but especially the charm that I sell for other people sometimes, is mm-hmm. if you want something very custom-made, send me anything of your clothes that you are looking to throw away, because that clothes of yours that you want to throw, that has your energy, because you use it a lot of times. Send me that t-shirt or that ha- uh, hat that you have. I will put that and make the charm with that. I, I don't need your hair. I don't need your nails. I don't need your blood because I have your energy in there. In something that you actually willingly choose to use. And I will put that elements in there and turn in the whole charm bag with some kind of altar and putting items in there and channeling your energy in some way of sympathetic magic and sending this back to you. Mm-hmm. When you receive a bag in your hand, you are saying, I'm proclaiming this spell is for me. It's made of something of me and it's power for me. The elements that you will put in the charm bag or with what you're going to do the charm bag is like that. You just need to choose willingly and consciously which elements are accessible for you. Something that I always say is we have many books on crystal magic. We have many books on herbal magic. Mm-hmm. But you don't need to run to the store to spend all your money in all the herbs and crystals that you are not sure if you're going to use. You don't need to have every piece of amethyst that you find in a story just because it's beautiful. You cannot have one. What is enough? If one piece of amethyst is not doing the work, you don't need all the 100. They're not going to do the work. Yeah. So you just try to spend consciously in which elements you can buy. For example, I can give you a recipe of a love spell for a charm bag with 100 different elements to put in the charm bag. I'm not saying that you need to use 100 elements. I'm saying to you, you can use two or three of these elements and you you don't have in this moment the resources. Like oh, many other people in 2023 that don't have the resources to do a lot of stuff. Perfect. First of all, look which herbs or plants are growing around your home because a mm-hmm. lot of people underrate the place where they live. They mm-hmm. are like, oh, I can buy these flowers. And you have the garden just in front of your house. Oh, mm-hmm. I can find rosemary. You have rosemary in your kitchen. Oh, I can find cajin. You have cajin growing in the patio. Mm-hmm. Just <laughs> see which plants do you have in there. Check what plants do you have in your patio, in the pots, in the garden, in the park very close to you. 
figure out for which you can use all of these elements. Collect some of them and, okay, I have two or three plans for modding, so I can do a charm bag with these three plans. I don't need to run to the store to buy a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. I can just use these three. Oh, I'm really in a very bad situation financially right now. Perfect. Look what do you have in your kitchen. Probably you have olive oil. That's very expensive. Mm-hmm. And have a lot of power in there. It's a, it's a, I mean, the olives represent money, good fortune, abundance. They don't literally need anything. As you can simply take a bit of the tub of the olive oil and just up in your mm-hmm. arms to bring the money. That's a very good spell. You can do some, you want to do something else? Okay, take a little charm bag, a little bag, and put in there some, some drops of olive oil, some put some rosemary. You can craft the circle around to put away bad look using just some salt from the kitchen. You craft the circle and put the, all the elements inside. Uh, take any flower around the garden, whatever is the flower that you find. Whatever mm-hmm. flower is growing there is channeling your energy as a witch. Mm-hmm. You are nurturing that flower. So take that flower like a gift back from the earth and say, I'm going to give you a bigger purpose right now because I need you. I'm going to give you a bigger purpose. You take this flower from the garden or from the pot or from the patio and you put in the charm bag with the rosemary that you find in the kitchen, with the olive oil that you find in the kitchen, with any other herbs that you find in the kitchen. And you have a perfect money spell in there that you just need to carry with you. You don't need to put gold and a bit of $100 inside of the charm bag if you don't have it. You can do that later. You mm-hmm. can do this money spell under the promise that, okay, I'm doing this one right now, and when this starts working, because this will work mm-hmm. in one year, I will give you the charm bag with $100 bill inside to whatever spirit confirm me this money spell that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And in three years, if the spirit gives me the resources for it, I'm going to give you a charm with gold inside, but you need to give me the money to do it. Yes, it's just as easy as that. And I think people take for granted how important what you say is. Like you just said about like, well, don't go to the store and then say, well, I can't afford this because like you said, now it's ruined. It's really important to, it. some people say like, well, that positive talk doesn't always work. It doesn't. But when you're doing magic, it does. Like, you have to believe it's going to work. And if you don't, if you're saying, well, I don't know, well, then, okay, it's not going to work. Like, (laughs) it's all about the person doing it. You really have to be strong in that. So traditionally, this is back in the day, guys. So everything Elohim just told us is stuff you can put in your charms bag. But back in the day, in the beginning, what a lot of people, especially the enslaved people would do, they would put in paint, like they would write simple as this, just like what we're talking about. They would write down their prayer or what they wanted and put it in the bag and carry it around with them. Or And then they would put in with like roots, herbs, like we were just talking about flowers. Sometimes they would even use animal parts, graveyard dirt, some of those other things. And then also if they were talking about a person, clothing, like Elohim said, or they can put, you can get crazy if you want and put in hair and all that stuff. I'm not yeah. into that stuff, but that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Getting nails is like, it's a lot for me. Um, but, um, and then funny enough, a lot of people would even charge their bags with writing down Christian or Islamic prayers. They would even put those in there too. Um, so a lot of the time actually, and there's been a couple, I think it was in Virginia that they found a couple 
different areas where they dug up areas like where the slave quarters were in the plantations and they found charm bags under the ground filled with different stuff whatever the slave if the master of the house was being extra torturous to a slave they may be praying for their downfall they may be praying you know for better treatment whatever but this was the way just like we're talking about people who didn't have a lot you know were using charm bags because that's this is what we got like so this is and you know it was working for them so it's really cool and then one thing i also said what saw that was really neat was in um, a lot of african-american traditions there's uh people make these quilts and the quilts have lots of meaning um they would sew mojo bags charm bags into the quilt um to cover themselves with these prayers with these uh spells which was really cool too they would sew symbols in there it was very neat um Okay, they would also usually hide it under their clothes. They maybe kept it in their pockets. Women maybe put it on the inside of their bras so people wouldn't see it. But that's another way they were infusing their body energy into the bag. The bag was, you know, coming onto them. And it was something they would have with them all day. So all day, if you're thinking about it and you're knowing, oh, this is going to work, this is going to work, the energy is building and building. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes it better, and it makes it And you're more. keeping it activated with, with, with the yes. own flame and feet of your body. You are yes. keep, you know, something that you just create and put in there in the cabinet. Something that you're carrying with you is have a lot of power in there, and you're giving it more power day by day with your own energy. Yes, yes. So this is everything. Um, this is our short introduction to charm bags. Um, if you want to learn more about it. Elohim has a whole book about charm bags, so feel free. I'm going to put a link to the book, too, in the show notes. So now we're on to our last section where we talk Venezuelan folk tales, and they're both terrifying. So everybody get We are terrifying people. So I was, so this is what happened. I was like, I'm going to look for some folk tales from Venezuela, and they were all scary. <laughs> they were all scary. We grew up in the stories of pirates in the coast, so we are terrifying people because we, we have these legends, a lot of legends about pirates in the Caribbean mm. who were coming from England and they were like going around. And mm-hmm. These pirates many times were like actually the revolutionaries in the continent. They were the good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, against the Imperium and the pirates were these people who have people of color and homosexuals and everybody in there, they were pirates because they were rejected for the big imperium from the big England and from the big Spain. We grow up with that stories and when you mm-hmm. go to the coast of Venezuela, to the Bahia, or you go to Orinoco, but if you go around Aruba, Curaçao, you see all of these big pirate knaves and ships in there, which are very scary, but for us, these are the museums, actually. You can go inside and work, and when tourists see this kind of things, like, okay, you are very good people. Uh, but what is all cool, and we, yeah. have, and we have also including a lot of folk tales, stories, and stories related with water witches from the sea who were, because the pirates, they were mostly pagan because they were, they feel rejected from the church. Mm-hmm. So they always carry with a witch of the sea in the nave. Many times these witches come from the IT Dominican or mm-hmm. Trinidad. These were the three places. So they always carry with a black woman dressed like a witch with big gloves in the hair. And mm-hmm. she was always cursing people around and doing spells in the nave for protection of the treasures and protection of the naves and the pirates and everything else. 
will grow up with that kind of stories like, oh, if you walk around at night at midnight, you will see a ghost. And our, our parents are like, we need to stay to stand up all night because you need to see the ghost. And they're like, okay, normal, trauma, but thank you. I love that. Look, you got an additional folktale that you didn't even get, you weren't going to get for me. Perfect. Pirates in Venezuela. So the first one I have here is this story of La Sonia. Seonia, Seona. So this is a story about a beautiful woman and she was married to this guy and the guy had, he was like a well-to-do guy. So she had a baby and everything was fine. Everything was great. Then one day she was swimming in the river and she was, I don't know why this detail matters, but I guess she was naked and she was, and this old man comes up and he's like, Hey, and she's like, Oh my God, why are you watching me in the river? He's like, no, I came here to tell you actually that your husband's sleeping with your mom. So she's like, what? And so she gets really upset, obviously, because who wouldn't? So she goes home and she sees her husband like in a chair sleeping with the baby. They're both sleeping. But she's like in such a rage that she burns the house down. She just burns the whole house down. Then she gets a machete and she's, oh, also the other awful detail. She hears her husband screaming in the house, but she burns the house down. She's angry. So then she gets a machete and she goes to her mom's house and then she kills her mom. And while she's like try attacking her mother's like, you're going to be cursed for the rest of your life. And then her mom dies. So now she got cursed for the rest of her life. So she walks around killing unfaithful husbands everywhere. And apparently she can appear to men. Usually if they're working like deep in the bush, in the jungle, she appears and she starts chit chatting to them. And she's like, hey, do you want to be mine and not be with your wife? And your wife sounds awful. And the guys are like, yeah, my wife's awful. Like, I don't know. I guess she only appears to straight men. I don't know. Um, but she's like, wife's so bad. And then, and then she kills them. If you're ever working in a jungle in Venezuela and a really beautiful woman comes up to you, run. Because she's trying to murder you. Yep. Yeah, if you're a cisgendered straight man, don't talk to any beautiful women in the jungle. <laughs> Yeah, that's the lesson of the day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She's trying to kill you. And the other one, which is even scarier to me, I don't know. It's called El Silbon, the Whistler. You are, you, you rename my, I need I was using the translator okay. because I was thinking to tell you the story. So I was thinking <laughs> how El Silbon in English. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is the scariest one. Yeah, it is. Especially if you if you live in Amazonas, it's like very scary because you listen that every night. <laughs> but when you are an adult, you just like ah, that's the silver around. You yeah. just like yeah. It's okay, you guys. It's terrifying. Okay, so there was so the story I read was there was like two kind of different versions, but the ones that I read, but the one that I read mostly was like there was this boy, and he was spoiled. In this story that I read, he was a spoiled little boy. Not okay, not a boy. Let's say he's like a teenager at this point, I guess. And he was spoiled. And he told his father, 
I want to eat some soup, but I want the soup to have deer in it because deer is my favorite thing to eat in the soup. So the dad was like, okay, fine, I'm going. And so he goes out and starts hunting for the deer. So the dad took so long and this boy is so spoiled and awful that the boy goes after him and finds the dad. The dad was like, oh my God, I've been out here for like hours looking for this deal deer and the boy was like you suck and he shot his dad right terrible oh my god so then the boy because he's a psycho this kid yeah he cuts up his dad and then brings him back to his house and gives the mom the meat and it's like oh mom i got a deer and the mom's like where's your dad and he's like don't worry about that it's the meat and then the mom is they start she's like this meat don't smell right and he's like don't worry about it then she sees the father's head and she flips out right she's like oh my god and then she like freaks out and the boy she curses the boy and like tells him to get out right oh my god it's so scary so then his grandfather finds out what happened and he orders the boy to be tied to a post in the middle of like the town and lashed him until he was almost dead basically but his wounds were then cleaned with listen to this this is horrifying they clean his wounds with alcohol you know when you get a little salt in your paper cut how much that hurts okay. yeah yeah <laughs> so they beat this boy so bad they cleaned his wounds with alcohol chili peppers and lemon juice and then they put a sack full of his father's remains on his wounded back then he was released into the wild because he was still alive they didn't kill him and um, he let him go, and then he set two starving dogs on him, and his grandfather condemned him to carry the bones of his father for all eternity. It is terrifying. Um, apparently, he's, like, a long, skinny guy with, like, like tattered clothes and, like, a straw straw hat, and he walks around, and he's, like, Elohim just said, he whistles. And there's this, I even yeah. found, there's a specific, okay, for you musicians out there, there's a specific whistle, even, they say. It's C D E F G A B, and in that order, the and it's rising in tone from F and then lowers to B. I was like, this is very specific. Yeah, I, I, we have songs. We have songs with that sound. Oh no! Uh, in the in the peninsula, Puerto it's one of the most common stories that we have. The actually mm -hmm. Silbon means the whistler, the person mm -hmm. who make a whistle. When you are in the woods, or sometimes you are in the crossroad in the night, you listen that that whistle going around, and you are like, <laughs> okay, just my imagination. But many times, you listen the whistle over and over. And something that happens a lot to, with tourists that are like very used to this kind of phantasmagoric spectacle, which is very common when tourists arriving. They are. They want to go in the night and see the stars, and they have this very idealized version of the woods in the night with the stars mm -hmm. that is safe and everything. Especially <laughs> because we have all kind of snakes, oh. um, <laughs> and they listen to the whistle, and it's a very specific whistle, very difficult to do because I, I know a lot of people who can whistle. I can't. Mm -hmm. Many people in Venezuela try to simulate that same whistle, and it's super complicated. But uh -huh. you listen to that sound over and over, and you listen how it's coming closer to you, and you are in the crossroad in the night, and you listen to the whistle coming every time closer, turning louder. So in a moment, you are so nervous that you just drunk. And the few people that have way to see something that have even been in the news, they had death like days later. 
So that has given like more weight to the folk story. The Silbon is like the most, I think that is the most popular folk story with us. We also had the Ayana. Mm-hmm. Ayana was a woman who eat children. She eat them and she just keep their hands, the hands of the children, in a bag with her that she carrying around mm. all the time. She's very scary with all of these big teeth. It's the common story that we have for if you don't eat your vegetables, Ayana will come for you. Yeah. And she will eat you and leave just your hands. And we're like, okay, mom, I'm going to eat my vegetables. I know all these stories, like, so a lot of those folk stories, right, are, like, to scare kids. But I'm like, and that, yes, you don't want your hands cut off by this lady who's, just eat your broccoli, guys. It's, yeah. It's better. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, the, yeah, so this Whistler, it was, that I even when I saw it described, I was like, wow, how do people know the tone? But thank you for explaining that. Like, people even hear it and they can't even mimic it. So, apparently, like, you were just talking about when it comes closer. So, what it says here, and you can tell me if this is correct, but it says when the whistling is, sounds close, it's okay because it means that it's, the whistler's far away. But when the whistling sounds distant, it means that he's nearby. And then also, it's told that the whistling foretells one's own death. So sometimes people can hear it, but sometimes also people can just hear it anytime. So many inhabitants of Los Lananos, I guess the plains. It was. It's called. Llanos is, is yeah. like a big. It's like a big valley in the mountain. Okay. okay. Yes. So they say they've seen it. A lot of people, especially in the summer and the times when the like when there's like a forest fire, but like you know controlled fires. People see when the trees are down and the foliage is down that they can see him. That he also sits in the trees and he gathers dust in his hands. But it's mainly on rainy and humid days that he wanders, he hungers for death, and is eager to punish drunkards, womanizers, but sometimes innocent people. And then it also says, oh my gosh, this is terrifying, he sucks the alcohol out of drunkards through their navel when it finds them alone, and he tears womanizers to pieces, removes their bones, and puts them in his sack where he keeps all the remains of his father. Some people say that he's huge, like he could be like... 10 feet tall and he moves among the trees and he's whistling and he's old tattered clothes and he's tall and thin. I said with a hat already. So apparently he can sometimes appear by houses in certain nights. He can drop his hat, his sack at the ground and he can just start counting his bones sometimes. Cause that's what he does. I guess he has time. Yeah. <laughs> he just... Okay. So if he comes by your house and he's counting his bones and you hear it, it's okay. Just don't go outside. But apparently it's if he's counting his bones, but you don't hear it, but he is counting the bones, it means he's going to come get some more bones. He's going to kill somebody in your house. If he's counting them, it's because he feels that the back have less weight. So okay. he suspects that he, that he needs more or he lost something. So he will look for more. So you listen like when you're in an old house and you listen to the woods moving that something is falling, you are in <laughs> your house and you listen that something is falling over the roof over and over and over. And uh, if the bones falling uh, in the room, and um, something that commonly happens is that you listen to that, and then they say don't go wrong outside to see the roof because if he noted that you are seeing him, he will come for you immediately. He will not mm-hmm. let you alive. So when you listen to that sound in the room, you need to stay in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, that is more frustrating because you continue listening that thing falling over and over for hours. 
Oh my God, this is so scary. As much as I always learn all these terrifying facts about countries, like I'm like, I always have this thing because I love the food. I want to go get the food, but I also don't want to hear the whistler because I'm scared of him. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I'll figure it out. Um, we have also, we have also La Sayona, which is similar to La Llorona. Because in Latin American countries, we have all of this thing about white woman in the crossroad. Mm-hmm. Every country has their own version. Uh, La Llorona is the most popular one. We have La Sayona. It's this woman who, she was very drunk and was probably possessed for the devil because people, some people had the theory that she was a witch in the woods who packed with the devil and the devil one day just possessed her mm-hmm. because she was selling her soul in exchange for food and money to feed her children. But one mm-hmm. day, the devil just come to like, you owe me, so mm-hmm. I will possess you. And being possessed, she killed her children. She mm-hmm. has like four children and she put them all in the water and let them die in there. When the devil comes out of her, she can't find her children. She don't mm-hmm. remember what happens. So she goes out every night looking for her children. And you listen to her when you are in the streets at night. You listen to this woman crying, where are my children? Over and over. Mm. And she's crying very loud. And you sometimes you find like the, the, the sign of her feet in the street. Oh. Like, oh, she was around here. It's one of those many stories that we have. So, uh, always is some kind of coming in the night looking for something. Yeah, we, we don't we don't have many good stories about good spirits. We just have like two. <laughs> I also and I didn't write this one down, but there was one where it was like the spirit, but it's a woman, but like her face is facing her back. I don't know if you've yeah. yeah, I yeah. <laughs> she walked backwards. So when you are when, so when you are lost in the streets or in the woods or in the river. And you find the, the the steps, that's the word. When you find the steps in the street or mm-hmm. in the sand and going in a direction and you think that the direction is the contrary because she walks backwards oh all the God. time to, go, to confuse people to make them go to her trap so she can eat uh, them. Oh and my eat, God. She <laughs> eat her faces. But, uh, she, she just takes their faces and after some time the face just comes down so she needs a new face. Okay, that's great. That's also terrifying. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, Venezuelan folklore is so fun and scary. With that beautiful story about eating faces, that comes to the end of the show. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yes, you want... Do you want to tell people where they can find you, like on the internet and all that kind of stuff, or anywhere... Okay, you can f- look for my name. It's very difficult to write down, especially with my accent. I can describe it to you E L H O I M. I think I think that is the way. I look for that. I am most of the times on Instagram. I am o- occasionally on social media, but Instagram is like my main place where I contact and interact with everybody. And uh, just throwing stuff there, like practically every day. Music, positive thoughts, whatever, keep us like raising the value how much is possible in this world. Mm-hmm. My new book comes out in December 8th, String Witchery. Mm-hmm. Please continue supporting this amazing podcast and this amazing host because we in this community, we don't have many safe places. We don't have mm-hmm. many open spaces. 
we don't have many well-informed hosts. We need to support the few that we have. So please support this podcast and the host as much as you can. Please, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends via WhatsApp, Instagram stories, Facebook, whatever. If you did, don't like this episode, but like another one, share that episode. Please support the podcast because we need it. We need more spaces like this one. <laughs> That's sweet. Oh my God. I adore you. <laughs> Same. You're so sweet. Oh my gosh. I love that. Thank you so much. That's so sweet. So, guys, this has been the end of the show. This has been so, so great. So, this is Dying with the Divine if you don't know what you're listening to. And you can, again, you can follow us Instagram, Facebook. TikTok also, I sometimes I'm on there. I'm trying to be on there more, but please give us a rating, a review if you don't mind on wherever you listen to us. And you can email me, like I said, at dimewithadivinepod.gmail.com. And if you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm Sankofa HS. That's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S. And Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. I'm going to put a link to all Elohim's stuff. And this episode, actually, we're recording it months in advance, but it's going to come out around the time this book comes out. So you'll be fine. Okay. You'll be able to get it. Yeah. All the links are going to be in the show notes. Check them out. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye.